Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. It is so great to be with you guys here today. Hope your week has been well, especially since we are kind of only a, a few weeks into the new year of 2023. And with me is Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm good. Can't believe that it's 2023, and I can't believe that um, time is just ticking man i yeah it's just uh we've had some weird weather here in ohio for the last couple of weeks and um mm -hmm. it's just it feels like spring but i'm not getting my hopes up and um but yeah it's good to be here happy new year yeah now are you still writing 2022 on things or have you finally converted to writing 2023 actually i've only done it a couple of times and i've been really good about 2023 so far and i don't know why i i usually screwed it up really badly <laughs> yeah no joke <laughs> i haven't written anything yet like usually the only time i would write it would be like on checks and you know it's it's weird because very rarely do we write checks anymore right um so or sometimes if anything i'm writing them like if i'm doing a newsletter to my youth parents i'll put like important dates and i'll always put the year there i don't know why just because i don't want them to think like oh january 8th of last year why would i send my kids to something that already happened but then it's like oh I should probably fix that so they're not confused. do you use google for stuff like google suite and gmail and things like that yeah mm -hmm. so uh i don't know if you notice this but like miami where i work they we use google uh for everything but uh uh, when you write emails and stuff now, everything auto populates. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that. So, yeah, like, I don't so, know if I don't know if that's going to be helpful for us with this new, um, you know, new year and everything. But you know, maybe it'll just auto populate it, and you won't have to worry about writing it incorrectly. But to your point about the check, I couldn't tell you right uh, the last time that I wrote a check, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been a long time, but yeah so it's been it's definitely the beginning of the year and already there's just been some weird stuff happening so that brings us to our stories gone wild segment oh man so you got a story micah um yes but i don't think that it's it's too wild or weird Okay. Um, and I don't think that it's more, it's not more in reference to the church stuff, but it's more like personal. Yeah. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Scott, you moved back to Ohio. You know that we had this crazy ice storm slash snowstorm slash they mm -hmm. considered it. I think in Cincinnati, they considered it a blizzard. Mm -hmm. um, it was categorized. It did enough damage that it was considered a blizzard. So um, it was like, I don't know, Thursday. It was supposed to come in Thursday and like be done by Friday night. and you know, we were getting these wind chill warnings. We were getting these, um, you know, snowstorm warnings, winter, you know, winter weather advisories, et cetera. And Thursday night, you know, when we all went to bed, it was, I want to say like 50 degrees. And then it dropped like 40 degrees in like three hours. Mm -hmm. And so we had all this snow and, it, you know, we were supposed to get like two to three or three to five inches of snow. But because the winds were so bad, it was just going to blow all over the place. And because it was raining and the temperature dropped so quickly, it turned into ice. So we get all these uh, winter weather advisories. And then we, you know, my wife and I are like, you know what? We're just going to order pizza. We're not going to mess with this. We're just going to go to bed. The next morning, it's like negative 10. And we had like a wind chill advisory for like three days. And like, I'm like, where are we? Minnesota? No, we're mm -hmm. in Ohio. So <clears throat> my my wife and I have a really nice home and we have kind of our layout is three bedrooms, three bathrooms. And for the first time in our marriage, we only have one bathroom <clears throat> because the pipes froze. Mm -hmm. Thankfully they didn't bust, but um, we have uh, three bathrooms and two of our toilets didn't work. Two of the sinks didn't work. Our dishwasher didn't work and our washing machine didn't work <laughs> from I think Friday until the following Tuesday. And then Christmas was on Sunday. We couldn't go anywhere because the roads were so bad. Like we were going to go to my in-laws for, for our Christmas uh, with them. And um, they live in Dayton and it's about 35 minutes away from our home. And we drove from Trenton to Middletown, which mm. traditionally would take about 10 to 15 minutes. We got on the road on Sunday on Christmas day. And it was so bad that it took us 45 minutes to get to, to Middletown from Trenton. 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's going to take us three hours to get to Dayton when it takes 35 minutes. They only have one line of the interstate of them. So anyway, the, the long and short of it is that the, um, the weird piece of that is that, you know, I think for the first time since I was, I don't know, maybe a little kid when my parents only had one bathroom in their home mm-hmm. was that was the first time that we've ever had just one bathroom. And mm-hmm. so I texted, we texted, we were texting with my, uh, my in-laws and they, they were telling us that uh, one of their toilets had frozen. I think they have three, they have three bathrooms as well, but you know, we put space heaters in there and thankfully our pipes didn't bust because that would have mm-hmm. been a disaster. But yeah. um, the uh, Alicia and I just kept, you know, walking around the house, you know, going, you know, first world problems because <laughs> we only mm-hmm. have one bathroom. And, and I know that's not a weird story, but it's just like the idea of having, um, just like one toilet, one sink, and one shower when we have normally have, you know, two bathtubs, two showers, three showers. Yeah. And, you know, all those bathrooms and stuff like that. But like, man, I don't know how those people up north do it. That's just a way of life for them, apparently. Well, and, and that's the crazy thing. Cause when I, I mean, again, being li- living in Columbus, like we didn't leave to go visit family until Sunday after church which we did have services. We didn't cancel any of our services during that. Um, and we still had like a ton of people showing up, but uh, more than, more than Christmas day. Yeah. More than Christmas day. Um, but the cool thing was that I'm driving in Columbus and again, I'm taking 270 to 71. These are big interstates and they were awful. Absolutely awful. And I'm thinking what in the world is happening here? So now that I hit 71 North and I'm making my way up towards Northeast Ohio, I get to the Delaware exit, which is just one exit above where Polaris is, which is where Ikea way is and everything else. And then from there, all the way up, everything was spotless and cleared. No issues, no slush, no still frozen remnants of ice or snow. Everything was completely cleared. And I'm thinking... Well, Northeast Ohio definitely knows how to deal with their snow stuff because obviously Central has no clue. And I I guess apparently Southwest Ohio definitely has no clue how to take care of the roads either. Well, I think think part of it, though, was that it was so icy. It's hard to, and with it being so cold, it was harder to treat the treat the roads as they were because they were just ice i remember there was a storm last um this is before you moved back to ohio scott but like there was a storm that happened last like february or march we didn't leave our houses they could close the university for two days because they the ice was so bad we got like an inch of ice and nobody could do anything because of how much ice was on the roads and they can't treat it because of how cold it was so i don't know um my dad lived in the north and he lived in North Dakota for 10 years. And they said that they, they didn't salt roads and stuff like they do here. They just pack the snow down and you drive on the snow. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I want to move south. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to move south because if you do, once you do get hit by that big snow, then everything shuts down and no one knows what they're doing. And everybody's like, I mean, that's one of the things that drove me nuts living in the South is that people would start driving on the roads and a little bit of snow would fall on the ground. And it was just like 65 miles per hour immediately goes to like two and everybody has their flashers on and it's like, everyone's moving slow. And I'm thinking I'm from Ohio, move out of my way. Like I'm like lacing threads and shoelaces and just flying through there like crazy because (laughs) it's like, guys it's just snow it's okay it just started it hasn't been like packed yet it hasn't melted and turned to ice yet it's not even cold enough to freeze yet it's only 35 degrees like come on keep going but yeah but yeah i think my my weird story kind of goes around that that's not that time frame too with the snow thing is we finally drive up and we make our way up to Ohio and we're staying with my parents and we're kind of having Christmas up there and a lot of times like my dad likes to do a gift with one of the grandkids where he gets to do like some woodworking and last year him and my son ended up making like a wooden like box like chest thing for him to put his toys in 
so you know that was fun and my son got to learn how to drill and do so it was really cool they got to work together and build something so it was really awesome well my dad decided that for my nephew he was going to make a shield a big gigantic wooden shield with like our family crests on it okay so that's cool so my sister's filming this because she's like oh this is gonna be very exciting because my dad made it and you know my nephew's gonna be very excited so my nephew goes he pulls out this shield and everything else and my dad's explaining it to him and everything else and it's great and i'm like oh that's pretty cool and then my dad says oh there's more stuff in there so then my nephew starts pulling stuff out of this box and now he has my nephew is now carrying a sharp knife that's about the size of like a crocodile dundee knife and I'm like sitting here and you just see my eyes get big. Like here's a nine-year-old wielding a very sharp knife or my dad's saying, be careful because it's really sharp. You could really hurt yourself. And he's just like, <laughs> I'm just sitting there. And the whole entire time, like my filter's gone at this point. Um, and so he pulls out that knife and then I start making my jokes like, oh, you call that a knife? This is a knife. And my sister's filming. It's like dying laughing. And then he goes, oh, hold on. There's more. And then he pulls out this other knife, which is like an old vintage knife from like somebody's dad. And it's all rusted. <laughs> and, I, and I go, Danielle, make sure you got his tetanus shots up today. <laughs> my sister's like dying laughing. And then my dad goes, yeah, and to hold your knives, you need a belt. And then he pulls out this belt and he like puts the knives around the belt and he buckles it. And the very sharp knife is dangling by my son, by my nephew's uh, private areas. I'm like, well, we don't need him to get circumcised twice. <laughs> and my sister, again, is still filming all of this. It's And then he goes, and now if you're going to help, if you're going to, if you're going to be wearing your knives, you need a pair of pants. And now there's a pair of pants in this box. <laughs> At this point, I'm just like, okay, you need to wear pants now because we don't want to walk around with our knives naked, hanging, dangling from our waist. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going on a roll. My sister's crying at this point. And then he says, and now you can go and help Papa. Like this whole point of this gift was the shield. And now it's like the knives, the belt, the pants. And then he goes, now you can help Papa help work in the weeds like on the uh, like we'll help papa with some work like with the weeds and stuff and i'm like oh yeah you need to go and work on the stedman compound <laughs> and my sister's like except i didn't say compound i said something else my sister was like now i can't post this because what you said was so offensive and it's like what it's not offensive what i said so Anyway, I had to go on the phone that my sister recorded on and edit out that last comment. And then my dad gets on the phone and he edits out everything else so that it's just my nephew picking up the shield so he could put like a nice little, oh, my son has like a, a warrior's a warrior's heart and everything. It's just my nephew pulling up the shield and that's all the video. Nothing about opening up the knives, the belt, the pants. But so all that information, all that comedy gold that I just clearly gave everybody is now deleted into the interspace because uh, because of one word I said. <laughs> well, the two things I could think of when I <clears throat> when I heard you share your story, Scott, was that one was, did you ever see Crocodile Dundee? Yes, I have. When he was like, now that's a knife. Yeah. <laughs> Kept thinking of that when you told that story. And then the other was, um, my great grandmother, um, when she was still alive, towards the end of her life, had Alzheimer's, mm. and we would go to her house every year for Christmas. And um, towards the end of her life, she would just she loved to give people gifts, but we we really started to know notice her um, her Alzheimer's towards the end of her life when um, you know all of us great grandchildren were like, all right, why am I getting why am I getting uh, men's perfume for or men's cologne for Christmas, or, or why, why are the boys getting, you know, Barbies and why are the, why are the girls getting race cars? Like it, they're like, seriously, this thing's happening. Yeah. So, like, oh yeah. But, like when you, when you kept saying that, like the story just kept getting added to, Hey, you need pants and you need this. And you, and here, here's a rusted knife that you can have. Like, and a tetanus shot. 
Yeah. So it was, it was just, it was just, I mean, it is, I think that's the great thing about sometimes with families is sometimes, you know, there's those weird moments where you just kind of go and, Oh, that's a little odd. But then for other people, it's just like hilarious. And I mean, I've been on the end with my grandma where she sent us me and my sister gifts that you could tell like, uh, why did I get this? <laughs> but yeah. So uh, anyway, as we transition to our main topic today, uh, we've been fu- I, I, with the new year coming up. It, it made me think about, you know, how churches approach trying to encourage or instruct or even set up their congregations for the new year, um, you know, kind of. I think, I mean, in a lot of this, I think kind of goes back to the things I would see at the beginning, actually towards the end of 2019, where it seemed like every single pastor that I was friends with on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to say, was all about, ooh, our theme for next year is going to be 2020 vision. And and what's and what are some big things God can do in 2020? And <laughs> And I guess no one saw that coming, but what happened in 2020? <laughs> but that was always a big thing. Like it was like everyone was gearing up to do these big things to start off the next year by either encouraging their people. Maybe there's a certain like vision or mission that they want to try to accomplish uh this year. So uh so I want to kind of talk a little bit about that. So, like, what was have you you know, the churches you've worked for, Michael, what were some of the experiences you've had when it came to uh, the beginning of a new year and how did uh, church leaders would approach uh, talking about, you know, or did they even do anything that was like any New Year's related or new mission, New Year, New You, all that stuff? Yeah, so I'm trying to think. There <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the churches I worked for, we every January we would do this series called Keep Knocking, and it was a series focused on prayer. Mm-hmm. And then we would do the entire month of January and just focus on prayer and kind of re- man, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> the we would kind of realign our focus and focus on prayer for that first month of the new year coming out of the holidays, and then in February we would. Um, dive into a series which would really focus on our mission and and our vision and one year uh i was trying to i'm looking it up as we're talking but the um yeah in 2020 before covid it was vision 2020 dare to be was the series Mm -hmm. that we did and we talked about um the vision of the church and and what we were going to do and um really cast vision for that next year and then the following year after the keep knocking series we did a series called uh be transformed uh vision 2020 or something along those lines and um looking right now as we're talking yes be transformed focus 2020 so um you know really just focusing on you know what's what's our mission statement um are we changing that mission statement if not this is the mission statement and this is what we're, uh, this is what we're going to try to do this year. Excuse me. And really, um, cast vision for the upcoming year. Uh, I, I like the idea of, of starting the new year off with like a focus on, on prayer and vision casting, especially when you think about, um, new people that may be coming into the church and might have visited during the holidays and or we're looking for a church home. Mm-hmm. Um, you really want to pitch that idea of what we believe and why. And I think you and I shared this on an episode about uh, the idea that we once a year should do a four to six week series on this is our vision and and, and what we believe and why, um, whether it's Church of God, Anderson, or whether it's the church that you serve, uh, people need to know what you believe, even if you're a non-denominational church, like, okay, these are things that we really need to talk about, like salvation and baptism and what's communion. Why do we do communion? Uh, what is, uh, you know, some of the other ordinances that we've talked about uh, in other episodes, but like really aligning 
you know, our thoughts and our minds with what we believe and why, and then being able to share that with people that may, may or may not understand it, may or may not have that relationship with Jesus, and then may, may be brand new to your current ministry situation and are looking for a church home long-term, and they've only visited maybe once or twice right during mm-hmm. the holidays. So it's a good idea to do that stuff during the beginning of the year. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to all the times where I've had to preach on a New Year's service or usually the day after New Year's, because depending on where New Year's falls, sometimes, you know, services are pretty low, you know, attendance. low attendance, low attendance. Um, but I mean, I can remember just kind of some more historical things like I can remember launching a new vision. Um, kind of new mission, new vision for the church on a New Year's, like a New Year's at the beginning of the year. Um, I do remember when I was um, in interim at a small church in Wyndham, I ended up preaching on the concept of New Year's and kind of the whole idea of leaving the past behind and kind of embracing this new year of hopes and dreams and opportunities and how we kind of live our faith that way where, you know, we want to live a life that's obedient to God, or maybe we want to try to overcome a certain struggle or sin that we're dealing with. And once we get about a month or two into it, we kind of fall back to our old patterns. And then we just kind of wait till next year and kind of connected that to the experience of camp ministry, where I've had kids who come down to give their lives to Christ each year because they're still struggling with the same addictions or the same issues uh, that they came from the year prior. And it's like, you know, you can go to the Lord anytime and, and really have to be in, in the church, like in the physical sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, or, or it's, it's the same thing. Like you don't have to wait till next year to try to start again. Like you can always start again. I think I even used the passage of the forgiveness of sins, not seven times, but 77. It was one of my first sermons. So I don't think it was that great, you know, looking back on it now, but what made it memorable is my sister happened to attend church there because she wanted to see me preach. And it, it struck her so much that she ended up, uh, you know, kind of giving her life to Christ. So I got to lead her in that, which was wonderful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of churches who've launch mission statements, or they kind of do a big encouragement thing, or maybe they want to start with a new series, like that starts on prayer. Um, and actually another, just, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say another another um, another approach, I guess if you want to call it an approach, that I've seen done at one of the other churches I used to work at. They did a series like in January um, called How Big Is Your Butt? And it was just like B-U-T not your physical mm-hmm. anatomy, but like they talked about, like they did a four week mini series called how big is your butt. And it was like, I want to have a relationship with my family, but I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to, you know, be better at my man, um, better, uh, be a better parent, but I want to be a better husband or wife. But, and then uh, right after that, they dived into a series that jumped right into um, the journey to Easter depending mm-hmm. on when Easter falls too, right? Yeah. Like the, if Easter falls earlier in the year, in the calendar year, they uh, they did a series called Exploring Mark where they did the book of Mark, all 16 chapters. Mm-hmm. They did an eight, eight week series like that because Easter fell early that year. They did uh, a series called Exploring Mark and it just went right from January, the end of January, picked up in February and went all the way to March or April when Easter was going to happen that year. So that's, yeah. another, that's another approach based on, I guess, when... I guess when Easter actually falls. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to. I thought. Oh no, 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 no. No, that's great. But I, yeah, and I think you know, there's a lot of things that churches do. Um, and actually, just um, just um, at the beginning of the year, uh, the church that I work at, one of the things that they do is they do a kind of a covenant, a church covenant, or a or they call it the Wesleyan covenant. And they look at that, they read it, and. And what they and really when I looked through this covenant, they did they do have a thing where you can sign it and date it. Uh the pastor was like, you know, this is not something that we want you to just kind of sign today and turn in. Like this is something that you need to think about and really process. And 
And when I looked at the covenant and kind of see like what this covenant asked for, you know, a lot of times it was just like, you know, I commit myself to learning two new spiritual disciplines or practicing two new spiritual disciplines. Um, I, you know, I want to grow stronger in my faith. I want to share my faith with others. Um, and then, you know, I want to give, I want to help serve missions in this community. Um, and then I think there was one where it was like, you know, be generous towards my neighbor, be generous to the stranger. And then of course, you know, be generous to the church by, you know, participating in church, coming to church regularly and, or, you know, giving to the church. So it's like this long covenant. And it made me really think, cause it was a different covenant that I've been used to. Cause there's been times where I've seen covenants where they're kind of like one of those things where I'm like, I don't think these are necessarily covenants. They're kind of more contracts, uh, but we just call them covenants because, you know, it's in a church. So let's call them covenants or, or we call them covenants because we want it th to mean a little bit more powerful or have a deeper meaning than what the actual written, what's written or the thing that you want people in the church to sign, um, which basically doesn't seem as important based on what you're basically trying to uh, get us to sign. Uh, so I want to kind of talk about this um, idea of covenants in some ways and and kind of looking at covenants and kind of, you know, how churches are doing them. Because it seems like besides like the service I went to at the beginning of the year where we had it, like that's probably the only one where I felt like that was a legit, good, biblically sounded covenant. Well, talk about that for a second. What do you like? What was that experience? It well, so so okay. So I will. So there's been a couple times where because I've um, heard about good covenants and I've heard about not so good covenants as far as churches are concerned. So I do know. So for an example, and I mean, we I know we already talked about the whole Matt Chandler, you know, <laughs> Matt Chandler again. But uh, when I was reading uh, the book by Scott McKnight and Laura Brennigan, uh, a church called Tove. Um, they talked a little bit about how some churches use covenant. So let's say I become a new member of a church and then I sign what is called a new member covenant, which mm. basically means that I believe in the theology and the doctrine of what this church teaches. I, you know, I will do my best to attend services regularly and be an integral part of the life of the church. Um, even, you know, I even it might be a personal thing like, oh, I I signed this covenant to be a good husband and be a good representation of Christ to my family, my coworkers, to people in the church. But then sometimes there's things like, oh, and as a member of the church, and this is what happened with Village Church is in the covenant, it was like, oh, well, you know, I will not sue the church or put lawsuit. And of course, you know, they always use the scripture you know they'll tie it with scripture where it's like you know don't sue your brother or don't bring a loss a lawsuit against your brother that we see in um in the bible and it's so it's stuff like that and then what happened was is that this family sent their daughter to a camp that was run by you uh, by by um village church is kind of like their own summer camp um a situation happened that definitely legal charges need to be brought up but the family for the longest time felt like they couldn't bring charges against the church because they signed this covenant and then it wasn't until you know dealing with it for three years and thinking oh this horrible thing happened to our daughter but we can't say anything because we're tied to this covenant um someone in the someone in in their family said well just leave the church I just say you're leaving the church because then you'll have to sign it and that breaks yourself from the covenant because you're no longer a member of that church so they did so once they left the church they were able to pursue a lawsuit against them and then when they were talking to the lawyer they even said like hey if something is a felony or something is a crime mm -hmm. this these these covenants these church covenants don't protect them from felonies sure so 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 that so that was kind of a, a bad way like that's probably the extreme on one side the bad way kind of where the middle ground is that I've seen is I've seen times where you know Sunday school teachers at churches that I've 
you know, that I've worked at or churches when I've come in and I've tried to know their system as a new pastor. And they say, oh, yeah, we used to have these uh, Sunday school teachers sign these covenants, which basically meant, oh, if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher for this class, you're going to sign this covenant, which means for a year you're not allowed to leave, that you have to stay stay a teacher for a year. So even if there was an emergency that happened, let's say death of a family member or you get sick, it was almost like just the way it was written that, you know, you have to, even if you're sick and you can't be there, it's your responsibility to find someone to do it. Well, if you're in the hospital and let's say you're incapacitated, how? Uh, hold on. Hey, can you sub for me for Sunday school? And then like, it was just the weirdest thing. And then, I mean, even there was talk one time where it's like, well, maybe we should do that for all the team people who are serving on these leadership teams. And I'm thinking, yeah, but if you have someone who doesn't show up consistently to a meeting, I think the thing that we need to do is instead of forcing them saying, hey, you're not, you're breaking the covenant here. You just call them and you say, hey, we noticed you haven't been attending meetings. Is everything okay? Do you still want to pursue? And if not, then it's the elder board's responsibility to go find a replacement for that person to fill out the rest of their term. Because obviously something, a life change has happened or something life happened that they couldn't fulfill to serve their leadership role. But I felt like the covenant system. And I, when I saw these papers, I'm like, yeah, we're not doing this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we're not doing this. Like this is because it's just, it's a, I felt like it was wrong. And B, when I think about a biblical covenant, the covenants we see in the Bible, God's always a part of it. And it's about one's relationship with God. And, and even if you think about a marriage covenant, like the covenant of marriage, yeah, it's between, you know, two people who are getting married. But at the same time, a lot of theology, it's like, well, it's not two merging together as one. It's it's the two in God merging as one as, as kind of the foundation or the glue that holds that relationship together. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what I mean by covenant. It seems like where this we were Sunday at the beginning of the year, it just seemed like a lot of, even though there was some things like, oh, make sure you come to church regularly or be devoted to, you know, doing the mission of the, or being, you know, proactive in the mission of the church. Probably about three-fourths of it was, I, you know, I'm going to make this covenant. It's going to be between me and God. I'm going to work on having more time with him. I'm going to work on trying a new spiritual discipline. I'm going to, you know, you know, try to live out my understanding of the Bible and of God to the best of my ability. It was it was very much between you and the Lord. And it wasn't like pastor was saying, okay, you got to sign this and put it in the offering plate today so we can have these documents. Like take these home, put on the fridge. Like the, the church didn't need these back. It was more of like, here's your thing. Pray about it. If you want to sign it and put it up and hang it up so it's a reminder of you to try to live a more holy life, then the great. Um, but if you don't want to sign it, that's fine too. Like, you know, the church leadership is not going to be checking in on you and knocking on your door going, hey, are you living according to this covenant? Like it was very much between one person and God. And it and that was a private affair between that one person and God. It wasn't a big corporate, it wasn't a big like corporate covenant that I've seen other churches get into. Um so so that's kind of the thing. And it and again, like where I had an issue with covenants from the past was when you look at an understanding, especially an old testament covenant, it's a really the covenant is Something where God makes a promise to mankind or mankind makes a promise to God. And it was always between God and another person or maybe God and Israel, if we see a collective group. But it was always God was always in the mix or wasn't like I've signed this covenant to be devoted to a church or even if we're looking at the church as a a group of people and not an institution still 
a covenant within between members of churches was still never a thing. It, God was always an integral part or even was the foundation of a covenant. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to kind of just stop there and just pass it back to you and like kind of like your thoughts with everything I've been saying about. Covenant yeah, treatment. well, <laughs> the, what I was going to say, though, like <clears throat> in respect to, to the Lord and respect to God and, and things like that, like, I, I, you know, Google the word covenant and it says an agreement the definition yeah. literally just says an agreement right and so as you were talking i was looking through you know i was uh flipping through the old testament on my bible here and um i i came upon joshua 21 where mm -hmm. um god is kind of uh the war in israel is kind of coming to a close for that portion of, of the old testament and if you know the, the old testament joshua you know, as a fierce warrior and they go through a lot right after the passing of Moses. And, mm -hmm. um, anyway, so like, uh, just a, just an example of that in Joshua 21 and, uh, verses 43 through 45, it says, thus the Lord gave Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers and obey or, and they took possession of it and they settled there. And then the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he sworn to their fathers not one of them not one of their enemies had withstood them for the lord had given all their enemies into their hands not one of them not one uh not one word of all good uh not one word of all the good promises that the lord had made to the house of israel had failed all came to pass so i read all that because god was faithful to israel and they made a covenant with God. And then when they made that covenant with God and they obeyed God and they 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 remained faithful, God blessed and God um, gave them what they needed in that moment, even after all they had been through. So yeah. to your point, the covenant was between Israel, Joshua, and the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the Lord... And Joshua and Israel. It had nothing to do with the church. Mm -hmm. Um he brought up an interesting point as far as like the 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 idea of you know signing this or signing that, or you know, we've talked a little bit about it like like in staff positions at churches, like with NDAs and things like that. But like the the idea of signing something and and being committed to something, it's almost like it almost feels like you're you're being kind of punished in a way. I yeah. don't know if that's you know, or like shoehorning people into doing something they're not comfortable with doing long term. Yeah. And, and I think that's and I think that's a great point, because if I mean, if I'm looking at like kind of like our main covenants in the Bible, like we first we have the covenant that God made with Noah after mm -hmm. the flood, where God basically kind of does this reset in this re renews the blessing of creation uh, we even see God makes a covenant with Noah, basically saying, you know, I'm not going to damage, destroy the world with a flood. And that's why we have the rainbow. It's like a reminder of, of the covenant that God made with Noah. We have the Abraham covenant where God makes this covenant with Abraham, which that is an interesting story, too, because it's like, OK, this covenant with Abraham that, you know, Israel is going to be blessed. They're going to be, and if they follow his commands and follow his decrees and get circumcised and everything else and, and don't intermarry, you know, there's a lot of rules and stuff. But what's interesting about this covenant is when God and Abraham are having this covenant, we see Abraham chop these animals in half. Because that's the thing. Like if God breaks the covenant with Abraham, then God can split God from head to foot, right? That's the whole story. So, but the same thing, like, you know, if Abraham breaks the covenant, then God can do the same to him, or at least that's kind of the, under, the Old Testament Jewish understanding. And yet we see during this covenant phase, we see God pass through this covenant of blood between him and Abraham. And as Abraham's about to walk through this trail of blood, we see the spirit of the Lord pass back through again. So Abraham never gets to walk through. It's always God going twice. Mm. And how we understand that is if we understand it from a Old Testament perspective, it's the idea that, you know, because of the sinfulness of man, that there is no way Abraham was going to be obedient to this covenant. 
there was no way that Israel as a nation was going to be obedient to this covenant because, you know, man, for whatever reason, is going to continue to fall, um, especially when we look at Old Testament. But then even if we look at a New Testament lens, it's, well, if God's doing the sacrifice, if God passes through twice, and that means that in order to establish a covenant that is going to work, that there has to be a paying a price of shed blood, which is going to come through God himself through the son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we also have the Mosaic covenant, which is the covenant between Moses given the 10 commandments, but also the law to the law of Moses to the Israelites on how to live. Uh, we see the Davidic covenant that in second Samuel seven, where David, where God basically promises David, not only the reign, the throne of God's people, but that it's the Davidic king is going to be the catalyst for the coming of the Messiah. And then, of course, we have the new covenant, which we which we read in Luke 22, but also we see in Jeremiah 31 that, you know, when this Messiah comes or there's this coming day where this new covenant is going to bring the forgiveness of sins and internal renewal of the heart and the intimate knowledge of God which we could look at, again, I've been studying John 13 through 17 for my doctorate, but even when you think about the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit is to help the disciples remember everything Jesus taught to have this calling to be connected to the true vine, which is Jesus Christ, um, and to have this intimate knowledge of who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And I feel like when I explain all these like kind of big Old Testament covenants and even the New Testament covenant, it's always goes back to God. And never once is it, well, you need to be committed to the church or here's a covenant. And I mean, and unless someone can bring it up to me or make a comment or whatnot, I really don't see a covenant where people... Maybe I guess maybe we could look at the Mosaic Covenant, but anytime in the New Testament, I don't see any time where people need to be in covenant with one another, um, with a group of people. It always starts with the covenant relationship with God, and as each people are moving towards God, then that's where the connection with the body happens because we're all connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and I. You know, we haven't really said it, but it feels really bizarre. Like the whole that whole concept is just it seems bizarre. Like asking people, you know, what if Scott, you and your family came into this new church, you know, the second Sunday of January, and they're doing this new series, and they they ask you to sign a covenant right off the bat, and it's yeah. like, um, I'm new to church. I don't know Jesus. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm trying to, you know, it. Yeah. Or I'm just trying to. Or I'm just trying to find a a church home and all of a sudden it's like sign this paper, which again, you know, and I actually at that service we did, we had some new visitors show up when we were doing this like Wesleyan covenant thing. And even then, like, it wasn't like, okay, you need to sign this. It's like, here it is, take it home, pray about it. If this is something, and it wasn't a commitment to, and that's the thing, like anywhere in the verbiage never said you will be committed to this name church. It's just you you participate, you participate in a worship setting. Mm -hmm. So even if someone was traveling, let's say someone just happened to be in because they're family or friends of somebody in the church. So they decide to go to church before they drive back to Tennessee. They could see this covenant. They could take it home. They could read it. They could pray about it. And they go, you know what? I'm going to sign it. They will sign it. That doesn't mean they're making trips from Tennessee back to Columbus to go to church, they're just finding a church in Tennessee that they're saying, well, I'm going to be a part of it because that's part of this covenant. But again, it was between that person and their discussion with God, not that person and a church leader or the pastor or the the, the congregation as a whole. And it didn't say you must be committed to the views and practices of village church or solid rock church or the church of God or the Wesleyan church or the Methodist church or the Lutheran church. It just says a worship, a place of worship or a church. Right. And, so, and, and, 
and even with the, and even with these covenants like reading through the old testament israel never kept the covenant they broke it over and over and over again. And yet, especially when we look at the prophetic books, a lot of times, yeah, God says, hey, you broke the covenant. Here's kind of the consequence of this broken covenant. And yet there's always that, that grace and mercy clause where if you repent and you turn from your sinful ways, then I am going to restore you. There was always this point where God was always willing to restore the broken covenant if people would turn from their sins. And I feel like when in a church setting, if you sign a covenant and someone messes up or makes a mistake or has a fall or doesn't do anything wrong, they just get sick and they can't keep up with their commitments. It's like the pattern I see with churches is there has to be a meeting. So we're going to have a meeting because you've, obviously are not keeping up with this covenant that you signed. So we're going to have a big board meeting about it. And then not only that, we're probably going to kick you out of whatever leadership thing, or maybe we'll just kick you out of the church, depending on what it is. And then the rest of the church, which will shun you and they'll never talk to you again. And you kind of become a ghost. It's almost like, oh, they left, they left the, they left our tribe, they left their family. So we're going to kind of cast them out, which I know is a very big like Amish Mennonite thing of shunning, but man, the American church definitely does shunning very well. <laughs> I mean, yikes. Um, and that's usually like a lot of times when I'll hear people share their stories of church trauma or anything else, it's like, yeah, I end up leaving the church or I was kicked out of the church. I just felt like it was time for me to go. And all these people who said were my friends. And even after I left, they said, Oh yeah, we'll still keep in touch. We'll still love you. We'll still call you. It's like com completely ghosted. Yeah. And it's like, um, just because I leave a church doesn't mean that we can't still talk or we can't still hang out. We can't still do things. It's like, Nope, you're, we're done. you're done. Like that's it in the discussion. So yeah, it's it's wild. Well, and I think it also adds pressure. Mm -hmm. It adds pressure to to faith. It adds pressure to uh, relationships. It adds pressure to the expectation of a church. It, it you know it adds all these uh, preconceived notions, and you wonder why people aren't coming to church because they're afraid of those things. Yeah, they don't ha they don't have to be afraid of God. They need to be afraid of the people that are putting this barrier between man and God. And, you know, as you were talking about this, Scott, I feel like that's that's exactly what's happening. And the church is creating these barriers, like, in the form of covenants where, you know, if you come into a church, like, and I'm brand new and I, I, I don't feel comfortable signing this, like, I'm not going to come back. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, it, 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 yeah, I, it, 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 it's a little bit disheartening. It is. And I mean, and I still think it was weird that, you know, working at Church of God Church, that they had a covenant for their leaders, especially when A, leaders are not perfect, and B, the idea that the Church of God believes that if you are a member, if you want to be a member of the church, all you have to have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And that's yeah. where it is. And I mean, that was the slogan of the church for a long time, where salvation makes you a member. And yet I'm finding that there's these covenants in these years past. I'm like, yeah, we're going to get rid of these. We're not doing these anymore because if we're going to say salvation is basically to be a member of this church is have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, then there's no need to have a covenant. There's no need to sign a piece of paper saying, yes, I'm going to commit my life to the church and I'm going to give faithfully to the church and I'm going to do all these things to the church. It's like, well, no, like, first of all, you need to work on relationship with God. Don't be just pouring all yourself into a local congregation, pour yourself into God. And as you're pouring yourself into God, because of the blessings that he, God gives you, then that's going to propel you to be a blessing to your church, whether it's being a teacher, whether it's giving financially, whether it's, you know, if especially if it's a church plant, you know, you're probably there at three o'clock in the morning setting up chairs in a, in a middle school cafeteria. <laughs> so 
So, yeah, but yeah, I think if you're a church, and again, for you church leaders out there, I think if you're a church and you're having people sign covenants, you I think you really need to sit back and examine and reread your covenant and go, okay, what is it that I'm actually having people sign? Am I having them sign to be faithful to the church or be faithful to me and my leadership? Or am I having them first be faithful to God and, and allowing that be the majority or the 90% of the covenant is their devotion and relationship with God. And then the 10% being a devotion relationship to a church. Um, you know, cause I mean, I mean, and I don't want to get into talking about tithes and offering, but I mean, if the whole tithing offering is that we get to give God 10% of whatever material earnings we make, then I think when it comes to, if you do have a covenant system, you have to make sure that 90% of your covenant is my devotion and my relationship to God. And then 10% is going to be the work I'm doing for God, whether it's in a local church or whether it's just, you know, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people in my workplace or on the street or in the grocery store. Um, I think that's going to be more of a biblically accurate and even a very, theological accurate covenant then here sign this covenant so we can say you're a member of my church you can be obedient to everything that we believe and you know don't sue us if we do something wrong <laughs> sign this agreement but don't sue us yeah sign this agreement but don't sue us like yeah like no that's but we're going to call it a covenant because it, it because we're a church and it's going to have more spiritual value to it than just say no you're really what you're doing you're signing a contract if you want to be a member here, here's the contract you sign. And I think we need to stop. Churches need to stop basically putting the word covenant on something to kind of make it all spiritual when really the stuff that they're signing is anything but. So yeah. that, that's my that's my final take on that. Um, so, friends, thank you so much for listening. And again, maybe if you're a church leader and maybe you do have your church member sign covenants and you still you're listening to this and you're thinking. You know what? I think you're wrong, Scott. Covenants are very important and people need to sign them and it's important. Please argue with me. Let me know. I want to know your take on it. Just feel free to send me an email. You can go to my website, thescottstebbin.com, where you can find all of our episodes and even um, send an email to me so I can go. Or you can comment on any of our socials, on our YouTube, our Facebook page, anywhere. Just uh, make a comment so then that way, if you disagree with us or maybe you agree with us, we can uh, definitely um, make those comments and just be able to share those um, on the podcast too and have that dialogue. So thank you so much for listening to us. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your uh, week and weekend, and we'll be back on with another episode. Take care.